Why is love greater than faith and hope? Because faith and hope by itself can't produce love. Mm. But love by itself can produce faith and hope. Oh, man, that's awesome. You got that? Yeah, I got it. so, so, So when a person knows that God is love and he loves them, you you can trust somebody that will love you that way. And trust is just faith. And and then on top of that, you know your hopes and dreams are possible because the creator of the universe loves you. Welcome to the Living by Grace podcast with Al Jennings. When you receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. Listen in as we discuss the effortless life of God's grace. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Living by Grace podcast. I'm so excited today because I've got one of the OGs of the gospel of grace. I'm going to turn him loose and we're going to get right into it. And welcome to Living by Grace, Ed Elliott, everybody. (laughs) Yes. All right, man. Excited about having Ed. Ed is affectionately known as the Vagabond Evangelist. I'll let him explain that a little bit later. He travels the world sharing the love of God with everyone he meets. Very simple bio. (laughs) I love it. But Ed has got a lot of stuff to bless us with today. We're going to talk about his travels throughout the world, uh, primarily in Africa. He's got a lot lot of great stories. Uh, Welcome, Ed. Thanks, Al. It's great to be with you, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we went to Raymond at the same time. We both graduated in 84. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, been a minute ago. Seems like yesterday, really. <laughs> What's it coming up on? Forty years. Yeah, isn't that something? I never, wow. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah, twenty twenty four. That'll be forty. Wow. Forty years. Yeah, I was probably. My wife the, and I, we we just celebrated our forty fifth, forty first wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations! Well, thank you. I think I was the youngest student. Um, at Rama, ever, I, w- I I started uh, five years old, and I'm forty five well, today. Me, I was only seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Ed, man, tell us um, what happened after you graduated from Rama, and and tell us how you got started in your worldwide ministry. Well, my wife graduated from ORU, and I was attending Rama. Mm. And, uh, you know, when Rama, when, when graduation was coming up for Rama, I, you know, no disrespect for the graduates that uh, stayed in Tulsa, but I didn't want to be one of those guys. Me either. I, I, I wanted to go out. I thought brought, Lord brought me here to be trained and equipped and, and then to take this message to the world. And, uh, you know, so I just started praying and seeking God about, you know, okay, what, what, what's next? I, I, I was obedient to come here to go to school and getting ready to graduate. So, so what's next? Where, 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 what's my next step? So, and I had prayed that way, you know, for a while, you know, just knowing, okay, Lord, what's next? What's next? And one day I just heard the Lord speak in my heart. Uh, I'm going to send you to Africa, to the countries of Zimbabwe and Mozambique in, in this coming October, November. But so in my mind, I'm thinking it's just a short term missions trip. 
Now, I, I had to open a, an atlas to find out where Zimbabwe and Mozambique <laughs> were. I, I knew they were, in, I had enough sense to know they were in Africa. But I didn't know where they were. I didn't know much about them, you know. So, and I just sat on that for a while. And uh, one day I asked my wife, has the Lord been speaking to you? And she looked at me and she pointed her finger at me, you know. She says, yep, he's sending you to Africa. <laughs> and uh, she said, not sending me, he's sending you, you know. So she had heard, you know, and, and I was relieved over that. And so uh, I said, yeah. And again, I'm thinking it's a short-term mistress trip. So uh, uh, I, I, we do what we, we need to do to save the money, to make sure the bills are paid while I'm gone. I worked at a, as a waiter in Western Sizzle Steakhouse. And, uh, you know, you, you, you make all your preparations, your planning and, and all of that. And uh, so I went, went over, uh, it was a little longer than six weeks, and I was going over there to help some, actually, I missed a part of the story, but a friend of mine called me up and he said, hey, I want you to come over to my house. He says, I've got these pastors from Zimbabwe and they do a lot of work in Mozambique. I, I just feel like you're supposed to meet them. So I went over and met him at the house. We got along real well and had a great time. I didn't say anything about what the Lord had spoken to me. And they finally said, Ed, would you consider coming over and working and helping us? I said, yes, I would. I said, when do you want me to come over? And they said, could you come over for October, November? Well, that's exactly what the Lord told me. And I said, yep, I can do that. And so agreed to come over and work with them. So I did. I went over there for October, November, and we traveled over Zimbabwe, preaching the gospel. I loved Africa. And then we went into Mozambique. Now, Mozambique was in the middle of a civil war at the time, so we kind of had to go underground. And uh, while I was in Mozambique, it was when the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I've called you this part of the world where you'll preach and teach my gospel, where soon after you've left, many of these people will have passed away and, and come to be with me because of disease, drought, famine, and the war. But I was not to weep nor shed a tear because, because they were with him. And... Uh, I saw the fulfillment of that. We were in one village in, in outside of Tet, Mozambique. And many years later, I was back in that village. And uh, uh, it was, uh, well, not many years later, uh, a few years later. And uh, the village was just covered in, in human bones. Uh, the war had gotten to that place and everybody was slaughtered and killed. And I remember just kind of picking up a skull, wondering, you know, who was this person? Was it somebody I laid hands on? And uh, the Lord, and I was about to cry, and the Lord says, I told you not to weep or shed a tear. They're with me because you were obedient to go and tell them about the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I've, I've seen the fulfillment of that so many times uh, in areas we've gone to, and, and because of the, the different difficult conditions of Africa, AIDS and disease, drought, and famine, and, and even the war. So I know they're with the Lord, and that's in the end of the day, that's all that matters. And, yeah. uh, so uh, I got back home, shared with my wife, you know, what the Lord had called us to. We began preparation. We sold everything we had. And shortly after that, we moved to Africa and, and set up a house and, mm. and uh, began to, to evangelize. That was in my heart to be an evangelist. And uh, the ministry grew. We had favor. We went to areas that uh, hadn't had the gospel. And um, eventually the ministry grew into, we had a pretty large team working with us. And our crusades were some of the biggest in the region. We'd have over 100,000 people come out a night. 
Wow. And we'd see amazing miracles. I mean, just just phenomenal, phenomenal miracles that that would happen. And uh, we did that for close to 20 years. And then mm. uh, then the Lord wanted me to work with the underground church in Vietnam. And then I started working with the underground church in, in Southeast Asia, Vietnam and Laos and so forth. So I went from standing on a, on a platform preaching to over 100,000 to sitting in a, a hotel room crammed with like 50 pastors and preaching and teaching and sharing them the go- sharing the gospel with them. So it's hold quite up, a different... Hold up, hold up one second. I, want, I don't want people to miss this. That is awful bold for you to go fresh out of Rama and like, I'm going to Africa. I mean, I mean, did you have an invitation to go or? No, I, you know, I, I, those guys that invited me in October, November, but after that, I just knew that there was a great need for me to, to go and, and my wife, and I saw the need that was there. And so we just wanted to respond to the need and, and, and take the gospel. And so, yeah, we didn't have any official invitation. We weren't working with any other ministry. We just went and set up and, and just took off and started doing it. Man, that's, that's bold. And that takes faith, bro. And I salute you for doing that, man. That, that's just awesome. But pick up with uh, uh, Vietnam. So, you know, I started working in Vietnam and working with the underground church there. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it was a bit dicey. I, I think, I think the church is more open today. I think the government allows it a little bit more freedom than it did. But back, mm. back then, uh, you know, we had to watch for the secret police spying on us and, you know, all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. One year, four of my pastors had been arrested by the police and, and beaten mm. to death. Wow. So, you know, there were some crazy situations. I'll tell you a very funny story. <clears throat> a few people have heard this story, but not a lot of people have heard this story. Um, <clears throat> my wife and I have to back up a little bit. When we got married, we had our honeymoon in Key West, Florida. And at the time, there was a crazy mayor who owned a, a popular bar uh, that uh, Ernest Hemingway used to frequent. Mm. And so he, he was trying to get Key West to succeed from the United States. And they were calling themselves the Conch Republic. Well, while on a honeymoon, I bought a, a phony, not a phony, but it was a passport that said Conch Republic. They took your picture and put it in there. And it looked like a, a proper passport. So I always had that with me when I traveled. It was just one of the things I always carried with me, brought with me, just had it. And I happened to have it in, at the time, my briefcase to, in when I went to Vietnam. And so uh, I had put it in my pocket because we were going to meet another missionary and I was just going to show it to him. And, you know, we're just going to have a laugh about it. But I, we got, we just finished this morning meeting with all these pastors and uh, the police rock up, undercover police rock up and grab us off the street and put us in this car and drive us to the police station to interrogate us. They want to know why we're there, what we're doing, what we're up to. Well, I'm not about to tell them anything because I know four of our pastors have just been killed by these guys. So mm. I've got 50 in the hotel. I'm not about to give them up. So they want our papers, you know. Well, the only thing I had on me was that uh, Conk Republic uh, passport. So I handed it to them and I said, and I, I, I splurged for the extra five bucks and got the diplomat, diplomatic version. And so <laughs> I, I handed it to them. I said, you know, this is going to be an international incident. I, I said, you can't treat a diplomat like this. You know, I went through this long story, you know, so they kind of got all 
a little bit nervous, but they looked at the passport and they left the room. So a few minutes later, they came back and they said, uh, where is where is your country? Where is this country? I said, well, it's it's near Cuba. You know, Cuba and Castro, you know, because they were all communists, hard, hardline communists mm. at that time. So they go, yeah, yeah, we, we, we know Castro. We know Cuba. So then they come back a little bit later and say, what's who's who's your president or premier? And, and all I could think of was Jimmy Buffett. I said, uh, <laughs> it was Jimmy Buffett. And, and I don't know what they Googled. I don't know what they what they looked up, you know. But, That's but anyway, they, 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 they came, you know, back a little later. And, and, and the good thing about it was they, they had been beating us. I mean, they had been sticking cigarette butts in my legs and they had put, oh, held man. me over a table and caned me. And, but after this, they kind of backed off a little bit. They thought maybe they are creating international incident. So when they left, they didn't come back uh, uh, for a while. And we had seen a janitor down the hall. And so he, he, we heard the door open up real slow and he peeked in, stuck his head and told us to come with him. And so we came, he walked us down the hall and he said, you know, go out the back gate. And so he, he got, he helped us escape. And so I asked my interpreter, I said, who, who, who is he? He goes, you don't recognize him. I said, no. He said, he's one of our underground pastors. I said, really? And they said, yeah, we've, we've used them to get to infiltrate the police so that we can be prepared if there's going to be any raids. Mm. I said, well, that's smart. So we got back, we got back with our host pastor and uh, he checked the airport and immigration to make sure that we weren't on a list. And uh, then we packed up and snuck out of there before there was a, an, another incident. So um, uh, I, I, every time I go to the Key West, I keep thinking I got to get another one of those passports. And <laughs> it came in real handy while I was, while I was in Vietnam. But yeah. you know, it's one of those situations where you've got God giving you some wisdom mm-hmm. and you've got favor and you've got some God putting a man in place to help you get out of there. And I asked, I said, what's going to happen? He said, they won't, nothing will happen because they'll, they'll lose face if they report that they let us go or we escaped. It's going to look bad on them. So they'll never report it. It'll never be an incident because they don't want to make themselves look bad. So, mm-hmm. but I've been back a number of times since then and we haven't had any problems or, or issues. So, but yeah, that's kind of life on the mission field sometimes. Yeah. What, what are your, one of your most or a few of your most memorable stories in, in Africa preaching to thousands of people. You know, one of my favorite was we were outside of Maputo. <clears throat> we were the first people to go into Mozambique and hold open air gospel crusades. It had never been done before. Um, you know, they had uh, Portuguese colonialism, which was strongly Catholic. And then the mm. communists had come in and taken over and, and they had shut down all the churches and, and everything. So. So these people really never, ever heard the gospel. And, uh, but God gave us incredible favor. And, and so there's one of the crusades outside the uh, capital of Maputo. Um, we were preaching. We probably had about 90,000 people packing the soccer stadium and everything. And I would always pray for the sick. I, I prayed for the sick before I even gave an altar call. I wanted people to see proof that the God I preach is alive and that he does miracles and he proves his existence. And so I remember, you know, praying for this massive crowd of people. And afterwards we, we'd ask people now, 
you know, put your faith in action. Do something you couldn't do before. I said, if you couldn't walk, raise your crutches and, and walk. If, if you were blind, open your eyes and focus. And, you know, you know so the, the, for about 10 minutes, there's like pandemonium in the crowd as people are dancing and jumping and rejoicing and shouting and praising God. And, and, and it's exciting. And, and a lot of the crowd knows some of these people that are being healed. And so they're getting caught up in the excitement and, and praise and everything. Well, there was a guy at, 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 our, at our, the back of our light pole, and his name was Manasseh. He had been in a car accident, was paralyzed from the waist down. And he wore leather, pieces of leather on his hands and around his backside. He had this leather girdle uh, diaper type thing. And he scooted through the dirt. That's just how he got around. No wheelchair, no crutches, nothing. He just scooted through the dirt and he sold newspapers in the morning to make a living. And uh, after we prayed, he scooted over towards our light table, our light pole, and pulled himself up to a standing position and uh, took his first step and then took another step and another step. And the crowd's going crazy because <laughs> everybody knows Manasseh. Everybody knows Manasseh in that part. And he's walking. So we know something's happening because the crowd is erupting and things are going crazy. Well, eventually we figure out they get, they get Manasseh up on the platform. And when the, when the, the whole stadium sees him walk on the platform, um, and he's just taking baby steps. His, his legs literally had atrophied. They were like twigs. And, uh, you know, he took these little baby steps, he's, but he's walking. He had never walked. So they're going crazy. I mean, they're screaming and rejoicing and hallelujah and everything is going nuts. So I, I interview him and, you know, ask him about his life. And he tells us, you know, his history and and everything. And, and, and he demonstrates he's walking and then he brings up his gloves and his his leather kind of diaper. And, then, and he shows the crowd how he used to scoot and everybody, everybody in the crowd knew who he was. And he stands up, the crowd goes wild and everything. And so, I mean, it was, a, it was an amazing miracle. The impact it had in that area was just unbelievable, phenomenal. So the next year we're back and my crusade manager, Steve Shoup, comes to me, he says, you remember Manasseh? Yeah, he said, he's here. He, he's come to see you. And I said, I've got to see him, you know, bring him to me. So uh, they bring him to me. And, and as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, man, this guy looks like 10 years younger. I mean, I don't know what happened to him, but he, 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 he looks younger than I remember him from last year. And he's walking, now he's walking just perfectly normal. He's walking wow. fine. I think his legs put some muscle on it, everything, but he's walking fine. You couldn't even, you wouldn't know that he had ever had a problem. So I said to him, I said, Manasa, I said, you look so much younger. What are you doing? And uh, all of a sudden it dawned on me, he had no gray hair and his gray hair was gone. <laughs> so he says, oh, I took some shoe polish. This is what they do over there. He had some black shoe polish that we all know and he rubbed it on his hair to, to hide, hide the gray. And he says, you know, I'm looking for a wife. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, he said, I'm ready for a wife now. So of course we brought him up to the crowd. Everybody in that area knew also of his history and what he had done. And uh, he was just an incredible testimony uh, for the gospel and the goodness of God. But that was one of my, uh, that was one of my all time favorite miracles that, that happened just because everybody in the area knew who you were. They recognized him. They'd seen him for years. 
And when they saw him stand and walk on that platform, they just rejoiced. They, they saw the power of God in operation then. Wow. That's awesome. Um, take us through what it was like living in Africa and going from place to place. What, what was that like? What was that like for you and your wife? Well, you know, we didn't, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of experience about what we were going to expect. It was all just kind of, let's see what we could find. And, and as being young, new missionaries, um, we were on a very tight budget. Uh, we, uh, you know, a lot of churches and people said, well, we're going to support you, but, but you don't know how much until you get there. And so uh, we rented a, a little bungalow. It was a, it was a grass-thatched bungalow tiny little bungalow. It was pretty cheap, uh, but it, we knew it was going to be within our budget. And uh, we had raised the money to buy a four by four. So we had a double cab four by four that we used. And then we had equipment and we had a sound system and we had a generator and we had a string of lights. And, and so then we just took off into the bush and introduced ourselves. And, and uh, we had to learn a little bit of the culture. And I was fortunate that one of the first pastors that I work with it was a man who's gone home to be the Lord. His name is Solomon Tindani, great, great, great man. And, and he recognized there was a call on my wife and I to help his people and to travel. And so I, I, I would sit out at night on a, on a couple stumps. His wife would bring us tea under a tree that chickens would roost in at, at night to get away from the feral cats and all that. And he would teach me the culture of his people so that I, I would have a leg up on going and traveling and I'd understand some things. And I was one of the, you know, in that part of the world, there's a, a demon that everybody calls the Tokolosh. And they believe the Tokolosh is only about 18 inches high. He can't jump. And you, you know when you're in the area and people believe in a Tokolosh because their bread, all their beds are on blocks. Uh, so the Tokolosh can't get to him. And, and uh, it's serious. I know it sounds crazy, but it's serious. You walk in and you meet somebody and you go into their hut for tea and you see their beds on blocks, you know that they're scared of the Tokolosh. And uh, so he would teach me these cultural type things that, that uh, people uh, believed in and were afraid of and everything. So I would incorporate all that into my sermons and my messages uh, you know, like, in, I'll give you an example. They believe the Tokolosh would climb into a bed with a woman, have sex with her while she was sleeping. And then if she, if an albino was born in that village, it was because the Tokolosh was the father. And, <laughs> wow. and, and that, I know it sounds crazy, but that was just some of the crazy stuff that they believed, you know. So we would take that information and, and tie it in with the authority that you and I as believers have in the name of Jesus and that we have authority over the Togolosh and that we don't have to be in fear and put our beds on blocks, that uh, we have authority over the devil, period, uh, that he can't harass us and bother us and, and that we can tell him to leave and he has to leave, you know. So they were amazed that a white man knew what the Togolosh was. I mean, they were like, how does this guy know what the Togolosh is? That's, that's kind of our inside information. You know, how does he know what it is? Mm -hmm. So, but Pastor Solomon taught me a lot uh, of those, those cultural issues and things and helped me understand a whole lot. He was from the Shangan tribe. So the, that area we worked was with the Shangani people. 
And uh, it was very beneficial the rest of my time in Africa because it, I had this knowledge and understanding of, of culture that I had incorporated into the, the gospel message, which connected with the people that, uh, unlike in Acts 15, where Paul understood the Athenians and, and what they, their history and what their, their poets and philosophers uh, uh, taught, Paul would incorporate that into his message and uh, we did the same and uh, it was incredibly beneficial and I think it gave it helped us uh, have incredible success wherever we traveled and uh, that is, we helped Pastor Solomon we did crusades and uh, uh, I only found this out a number of years later when I went back a few years ago every village we went and held a crusade at they built a church mm. and uh, they they built 96 churches there's 99 villages in, in Guiani, and they've built 96 churches in, in all those villages. So the impact was uh, amazing. Uh, but yeah, it, and then, you know, we were on the road most of the time. We had a four by four, we had a tent affixed on top. So we, we'd finish a crusade, we'd go into a village and, you know, we would always buy, we, you normally would buy a goat and we present the goat to the chief as a gift. And uh, that gave us favor with him. And then we said, we've come to bring a message that God has put on our hearts to your people. And so normally in all in villages in Africa, there's usually a big bale, what they call ba baobad tree, but there's usually a big tree where everybody in the village would come to meet when the, when the chief needed to talk to everybody. And so he would give us permission to use that area to preach the gospel. So we had a generator, we had a string of lights and we'd hang them all up in the trees and everything. And, and then we'd have a little loudspeaker system. We'd drive in through the village and we'd had a local interpreter who would tell everybody to come out tonight to the tree. And, and then I'd preach and pray for the sick and, and minister and, and, and do all of that. And we'd, we'd do that for a week or two weeks in the village and we'd take a day or two off and rest and relax. And then we'd head off and go to another village and, and do that. So we did that for many, many years until eventually we, we added some staff and some equipment on and, and, uh, and then our crusades got huge. I mean, I mean, massive. So, uh, mm -hmm. but that's kind of how it all started. <clears throat> that's powerful. It's interesting what you mentioned about understanding the culture, because when, when I was in Haiti, I've been to Haiti a couple of times. I went to Haiti, Ed, right in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> but the Lord led me to go and we were safe and the Lord protected us and, and everything was fine. But one of the things that um, I learned when I was there, there was a pastor from the States who um, is from Bill Winston's church. Actually, mm -hmm. Bill Winston, who's uh, pastors in Chicago, he mm -hmm. sent him out and he's in Haiti and, and they had a ministry school there. And he said he started talking about the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit and one of the locals pulled him aside and said, hey, you, you got to teach the spirit a little differently. Uh, like you have to add to what you're saying because when, when they hear the spirit, <clears throat> because Haiti is from um, an area in, in Africa where all the witchcraft comes from, uh -huh, uh -huh. okay? And so they are heavy into witchcraft, and, and even when they get saved, some of them hang on to some of that cultural 
stuff that they were raised with. They would have little items in the house to yep. that they think would protect them from the spirits and things like that. So it slipped me the, the country they were from, but it, I remember now the Congo. Actually, mm-hmm. there's a Rama Congo now. Mm-hmm. And the Congonese sold the Haiti people. They, they sold them into slavery, and that's how they ended up in Haiti. But uh, back to the, to this minister, he said that uh, they told him that when the Haitians, when they hear, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to fill you and come upon you, in their mind they think that the Holy Spirit's going to control them and make them do stuff because that's what the evil spirits would do. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you made me think about that when you were talking about understanding. Yeah, those cultural things are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember when you came to minister at our church and you fixed us an African meal, the Perry Perry chicken. You remember that? <laughs> I do. I do. That comes from Mozambique. Mozambique. Okay. That was awesome. I think about that every time I see a, a, a restaurant that there's, there's a restaurant in Chicago and I recently saw it in the Washington, D.C. area where they serve peri-peri chicken. And, and Probably talk about Nando's. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do they yeah, do Nando's it right? Is a, they do. Yeah, they do great. I mean, Nando's is pretty famous for their peri-peri chicken. So, okay. yeah, it's a, Nando's is a South African restaurant that was started by Portuguese people. Okay. Yeah, I had it one time in Chicago. and Every time I see it, I think about you. I said, man, let's go get the peri-peri <laughs> chicken. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite meals. Yeah. Recently, I had Arthur Menjes on the show. Yeah. Uh, How did you meet Arthur? How did y'all cross paths? Uh, There's a pastor friend of mine named John Nuzo in in, uh, outside Cranberry Township outside of Pittsburgh. And uh, Arthur met him or got to know him through somebody. So John was coming to South Africa on a bit of a speaking tour. And so we went to hear him at uh, Arthur's church, which is an hour or so away from where we were living at the time in South Africa. And that's how I got introduced to Arthur. And uh, so we, we started up a friendship and, and uh, became friends. And, and then uh, um, I started having Arthur come out and help us with our pastor's conference. And, you know, he would teach in our pastor's conferences. And then during the rainy season, um, when you couldn't really hold open air crusades because of the rain, we started holding uh, conferences um, in conjunction to, to, at that time, we had a radio show all over South Africa. And uh, so wherever our radio audience was very big, we'd go and rent an auditorium and hold, we called it a Power for Living conference. And so we'd hold the Power for Living conference. And so I invited Arthur to be a, a fellow speaker in that conference. So, so that's kind of my history with Arthur and Arthur learned the love of God from me and grabbed hold of it and has done mm. fantastic. You know, he's now, obviously, you know, he, he teaches over at Andrew school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Andrew Womack. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how, how you got a hold of this revelation of God's love and unconditional love and grace. Well, you probably know T.L. Osborne and so yeah. are aware of him. Mm-hmm. And he was a big influence on my life uh, when I learned to do crusades. Now, it wasn't a book that you could go buy and 
and how to do African crusades or open air crusades. But I, I studied and I read and followed after T.L. Osborne. And, you know, I'd study his pictures. I, you know, that's kind of where I gained a lot of knowledge I, uh, and everything. So, but the thing about T.L. is he, he, he talked about God's love. He talked about God's goodness and, and God's mercy. And, and I mean, T.L., you know, it's interesting. A lot of the grace ministers I know today, if I ask them, you know, what pointed you in this direction? Every one of them says T.L. Osborne. Mm. Uh, Jim Richards, every one of them says it was T.L. Osborne that kind of opened my eyes to this. And, and the same mm. is true for me. So uh, T.L. was a, a big influence. And I certainly understood the goodness of God and, and everything. And uh, one day I was in my backyard. I just walk around talking to God and just him and I talking and everything. And, and he just began to open up my understanding in my heart about the love that he has for people. And he began to explain to me how, how so many believers and people are, are trying to love him, but they don't realize how much he loves them. Mm. And that the way to love God is to receive and experience and trust in the love he has for you. Well, that made perfect sense because most churches will tell people you need to love God. And, uh, and th there's a truth to that, but they leave out the how. And the how is what's important. Just tell somebody, well, you need to love God. They'll all agree. Yeah, we need to love God. You know, nobody will disagree with that. And so they end up trying to love God in their own ability and, and, and through their, their own self-effort and, and they end up feeling like a failure. They, you know, I'm just, I could love God more. I'm not loving him enough. And then they just live in guilt and shame. But, but John, who, who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, mm -hmm. uh, that theologians refer to as the apostle of love because he wrote so much about love, in 1 John 4.19, he says, we love God because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that short verse right there puts everything in perspective that he, he loved us. Now, uh, uh, not to take anything away from the Apostle Paul, because he wrote a whole lot about love too. But when he wrote the Ephesians in chapter 3, he, he, he starts off by saying, you know, I've heard of your love and your faith. And, and by the time he gets to the third chapter, he says, you need to take the time to get your hearts grounded and rooted in the love that God has for you. And, and you begin to see this theme that it's about the love that God has for us. It's mm -hmm. not about our love for God. It's about the love that God has for us, which produces in us yes. our love for him. And, and once people can get that right and get that correct, loving God isn't a problem because it's the mm -hmm. overflow of the love you're experiencing from him. And, and you can even see that in the gospels when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he tells them about how I loved you. And, and you know, he, he doesn't demand they love him. He just says, as I loved you, now you go and love one another. And uh, so the emphasis is placed on how I loved you, which mm -hmm. means the experience is, it comes from him that we experience the love that he has for us. And if we do, we can love one another. And if we don't, you know, we're, 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 we're going to come up lacking in our ability to love one another because we're trying to do it in our strength instead of his. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. So that, that just kind of, once you get your eyes kind of open to that, 
mm-hmm. and and your heart persuaded to that, you, you begin to see it all through the scriptures. It's because God is love. And so you begin to see this and it just, it, it becomes fantastic. It, it, it's life changing. And, uh, you know, I've been preaching now close to 40 years or so. And uh, uh, the, the, I've seen so many people's lives transformed and changed. And, and I've seen people struggle with addictions, whether it's drug or alcohol or sexual addictions. When they, when they discover the love that God has for them, they become renewed on the inside of themselves to a, a new power that uh, can change and transform them, which is, which is the love of God. Where before, you know, they're trying to clean themselves up. They're trying to get themselves holy. They're trying to live righteously. You know, it's all in their own efforts and they can't seem to get there as hard as they try. Then they discover, hey, it's not about you doing this. It's about trusting in what God has done for you. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. So when, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Can you explain like, what that means? What, why is love greater than faith and hope? Because faith and hope by itself can't produce love. Mm. But love by itself can produce faith and hope. See, oh, man, that's awesome. You got that? Yeah, so, I got it. So, so, so when a person knows that God is love and he loves them, You'll, you can trust somebody that will love you that way. And trust is just faith. And, and then on top of that, you know your hopes and dreams are possible because the creator of the universe loves you. And so that's what, what Paul is trying to say. And, and you'll see this if you remember the story in Mark where the leper comes to Jesus and says, I know you can heal me if you want to. Well, there's, you have faith and hope. But nothing's happening. Why? Because he's not convinced Jesus wants to. I was just teaching and, on that yesterday in, in our confessions that we do. Man. And, yeah. and, and so what does Jesus do? He shows them the want to. He moves mm-hmm. with compassion, reaches and touches them. And we have to keep in mind the cultural situation. He's a leper. Under the law of God, you're not allowed to touch him. He's an untouchable. Mm. But who touches him? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus touches the untouchable. And, and, and all of a sudden, see, I always teach, to, and I did this in Africa for years, there are three things you need for a miracle, faith, hope, and love. And so, and Jesus understood that. So all Jesus did is add the missing ingredients. He had faith or he wouldn't have been there. And, and he had hope or he wouldn't have been there. But what was missing is he wasn't convinced that he could be loved or he was worthy of being loved. And that God loved him. And Jesus, all Jesus did is just, all you're missing is a, a, a demonstration of love. That's why the Bible talks about love being a demonstration in the book of John. It says, you know, you can talk all you want, but, but we demonstrate this love by our actions and how, how we treat people. And that's why, you know, the old saying, actions speak a lot of the words. They do because they carry a, a, a bigger impact. And Jesus lived that way. Um, in demonstrating the love of God to people. And, uh, but in, in, in that situation, faith, hope, and love, he, he had two of the three. He just needed the third one to get a miracle. You know, I will tell you something. When I'm counseling with somebody, mm-hmm. I don't care what the situation is, what their struggle, what their battle, whatever. 
first thing, first thing I asked them, I said, are you convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that God loves you just the way you are right now, not the way you think you need to be? Well, 99% of people say, well, no. You know, they'll say no. And, and, and I say, look, I appreciate your honesty. I need you to be honest. Because if, if, if love is what connects us to faith in God, if faith works by love, and it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to think it, that that meant my love. Me too. For God. I, we were taught that. We were taught that in school, that it was our love that made our faith work. Faith no, works by love. It, it's trusting in the, that the love that God has you God makes your has faith for work. you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, because you can trust somebody who loves you like that. Yeah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so what I do then, I, I, I had a lady named LaDonica when I moved back from Africa to America and she had cervical cancer and she was a Baptist woman and she was in her sixties. And uh, somebody said, you need to go see brother Ed Elliott. You know, he's seen miracles. He believes in healing because her church didn't. So she called me up and said, yeah, I heard about you. Could I come see you? I said, yeah, sure. So that's what I asked her. She came down, sat in my living room. Uh, and I, and I said, LaDonica, are you, LaDonica? I said, are you convinced beyond any shadow of death that God loves you just the way you are, not the way you think you need to be? She says, no, Pastor Ed, I'm not. And I said, okay, no problem. And so I began to teach her about the love of God. And every Tuesday she'd come at my house at 10 o'clock and, and I'd teach her for about, you know, an hour and 90 minutes. So after six weeks, she said to me, Pastor Ed, when, when are you going to teach me about healing? And I said, well, LaDonica, how long did the doctor give you? And she says, I have about 18 months. And I said, then we have plenty of time. Relax. Plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And I kept teaching her about the love of God. Well, about two weeks later, she comes in and she begins to tell me this wonderful testimony about how she was sharing the gospel with a neighbor on her street and helping him understand how much God loves him and everything. And when she finished her story, I said, LaDonica, I think you got it. And she smiled big. She said, you know what? I do. I do. I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, are you convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that God loves you just the way you are? She slapped the table next to her. Amen. Yes, I know he loves me without a doubt. I know he loves me. And I said, great. Open your Bible to 1 Peter 2.24. And I began to teach her about healing. All right. Now, Now I know that, see, if faith works by love, if our faith is to work, it has to be convinced that God loves us. If it's not convinced that God loves us, faith won't work. Mm-hmm. So, so it, because that's what gives us faith. And that's so I, I, I said, uh, begin to teach her for two, two weeks on healing. And third week she comes in, she smiles, she's so excited. She said, I couldn't wait to tell you this. I went to my oncologist yesterday. Um, they did all kinds of tests. And uh, he was upset and angry. He couldn't figure out. He said, something's not right. He said, I had to do x-rays and blood tests. I had to do everything again. The end result was I could find no cancer in my body. None. Praise God. And uh, and she goes, I know it's the Lord here. Now, I, kn- I was hoping I'd get her to the point where I could lay hands on her, pray for her. We could agree, you know, for her healing and everything. I never got her to that point. I just got her to the place where I convinced her that God loves her just the way she is. Oh, she only heard about two two. Two, uh, two days of, of teaching on healing, just a couple hours worth, and she experienced it, received it. But the point is, is why would God heal you if he didn't love you? 
Mm. And, and when people understand how much God loves them, receiving from him is so much easier because it's not about you. It's about what he did for you. Yes. And, and that's what happened to her. Now that was, that happened in a 2002. And I spoke to her, oh uh, man, maybe a few weeks ago. She's still doing fantastic. Still doing great. <laughs> that's awesome. So she's that's in her eighties now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So for a long that's time. My, yeah, go ahead. That, that whenever I counsel anybody, again, when they sit down, that's the first question I ask them. Because if they're not convinced in their heart that God loves them, then, then you could teach them all the scriptures on healing, explain everything to them, but they never have the faith to appropriate it because they weren't convinced that God loved them. Yeah. They have a lot of knowledge, but mm -hmm. they wouldn't have a heart that was ready to receive. Mm -hmm. I was pastoring for a long time. It wasn't until about... Mm, 11 years ago when I got a revelation of what God's unconditional love was all about. I preached for many years about unconditional love. I knew the definition, but in practice, mm -hmm. I taught as though you had to earn his love. Yeah. And like you said earlier, I was talking about most of my emphasis was you got to love God. You got to love God, mm -hmm. love God love other people. But, th but then when I got a revelation of grace, I understood that loving God back and loving other people is just a reflex reaction uh, of his love for us. The scripture you yeah. mentioned in first John hearing his love, not that we love God. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I missed that so many years. Yeah, not I'm that we saying, love God, I get it. Yeah. but that he I, loved I, I, us. I um, I, I repented. I, I tell people all the time, I repented a long time ago of trying to love God. Mm. I just started, I, I repented of it. I, I, you know, of trying to love God in my own ability, in my own strength. I decided to rest in the love that he has for me. Yeah. And uh, when I did that, I, I never had a problem loving God. And of course, the way we, we know we're loving God is how we love people. First mm -hmm. John 4, 7 and 8. You know, it, it says those that love know God, those that love not don't know God. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know uh, Sandra McCollum, Joyce Meyer's yes. daughter. Yeah, sure do. Yeah. But Sandra, she she said she used to think that, and I concur with this because I thought the same thing. I thought love was just basic, you know. Then you move on from that yeah, to yeah, the yeah. deeper things of God. But <laughs> Paul talks about the width, the depth, the length, the height of His love. I mean, we can live our whole lifetime and never fully understand. Nothing's God's deeper than love. that. No, nothing deeper than that. Nothing. And and Sandra said she used to think that the love of God was the ABCs. And then yeah. when she got a revelation of his grace, she learned that love was the whole alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, anytime a building is built, the first thing they lay is the foundation. Because if you don't lay a foundation, you can build the building and it's eventually going to collapse because what gives it strength to stand and withstand is the foundation. And, and uh, love is the foundation God wants us to be grounded and rooted in. Yeah. And uh, because That's good. if we're grounded and rooted in that, we, we can withstand anything that comes against us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, I, I, you know I, I relate to what you just said because I've heard that over the years. Well, Ed, you know, you teach a lot on love, but, you know, don't we need to move on from that? And I'm thinking, Why? everything is connected to love. It's, if you look at a bicycle wheel, 
all the spokes help give that wheel strength, but all those spokes are connected to a hub and that hub is love. So everything we do has to be motivated by the love of God or the knowledge that God loves us. Mm-hmm. And that's why we are able to move forward. Yeah. You know, now Jesus that... spoke a lot about children. Mm-hmm. And I think because children instinctively respond and react to the, the love of their parents and, mm-hmm. and the trust of their parents. And he's trying to draw us back to this is how God wants you to respond to him. It's that simple trust. You know, what you probably had this with your kids. You're teaching them how to swim. And, uh, you know, my kids became fearless. If, I, if Lori and I weren't paying attention, they would just launch off from, from the side of the pool, uh, totally convinced dad's got them. You know, dad's going to be there. Dad's going to get them. Nothing, nothing's going to hurt them. Nothing's going to harm them. Dad is there for them, and he's got, well, our Heavenly Father is the same way. He, he's got us. He's got us. And even when my kids would launch into a pool when I didn't ask them to jump or launch, I still got them. I still rescued them. I didn't sit there and say, well, th- this will teach them a lesson. I didn't say they could jump in the pool yet. Let them suck some water for a while. Let them f- float to the bottom, you know. I didn't do that. No, I ran over and grabbed them and rescued them and brought them back to the side. And this is the key about God's faithfulness, even when we're not. He's mm-hmm. still faithful. Yes. He's still faithful. Yes. So many people, religion will teach you to, to trust in your faithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. The grace of God teaches you to trust in his faithfulness to you. Well, and I'd rather good. live trusting in his faithfulness to me than in my faithfulness to him. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I was thinking when you, when you were talking about being being grounded, I've got a lot of lights in the studio right now. And, you know, we all have lights to power the house. And But electricity, I've got a good friend who's an, an electrician, a member of our church. And from time to time, I have him come out to do some things for me. But everything, all this electricity, it has to be grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It yeah. made me think about that. That's yeah. You know, that, yeah. If, if you don't ground it, you, you've got power that will kill you. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. And, uh, but being grounded, it gives you the ability to work with that power. That's right. And, and makes it works it the power, the power works for you. It works yeah. on your behalf. It, it doesn't work against you. Right. Right. Yeah. It, There's it, a it, sermon there, Al. Yeah, it blesses you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it brings blessing to you, man. So this is so, so simple. And when I understood about God, God's un, unconditional love and grace when it was presented to me, it's so refreshing. Even now, as you're talking about it, as we're discuss, discussing this, I mean, I'm being lifted up. And I'm, I'm, I needed to hear this today um, because... You can't hear enough about God's love. And when I first heard about it, um, it it was so refreshing to me. But so, some people, when they hear it, some ministers, they reject the message, and I don't get it. Can you explain? Do you have any answer about why it's so hard for some people to receive this message? Oh, boy, that's a $60,000 question there. Uh 
I wish I knew. Uh, I, you know, I've had numerous discussions with people that would, you know, call me up, want to talk to me about what I believe and what I teach and preach, and they want to argue about the love of God and uh, act like it's not that important. And I said, well, you know, the verse we were talking about earlier, Paul said it's more important than, than faith and hope. And uh, I said, you preach and teach a lot on faith. And uh, I said, you probably teach very little on love. And I, and I suspect that when you do, your emphasis is always placed on how we should love people and, and how we should love God, not on how God loves us and uh, would be my guess. And, uh, you know, the guy admitted it, you know, yeah. And I said, there's a, there's a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about the, the importance of, of how important it is to understand the love of God. I said, you know, Ephesians 3, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Paul tells the whole church you need to get grounded and rooted in the love of God. Interesting thing about the, the Ephesians is, as I mentioned in the first chapter, Paul says, I've heard of your faith and love. He later, chapter 3, tells him, take the time, get yourself grounded and rooted, get your hearts convinced that uh, in the love that God has for you. Then we jump over to Revelations and, and uh, we discover that uh, they forgot their first love. And uh, so the love of God is something that we need to renew and refresh ourselves daily mm -hmm. because, you know, David did. Uh, it's the, the premier scripture I use in my spiritual coffee every morning. David talked about he desired to hear of the love of God every morning. He wanted to hear about God's love. And he said the result of it was it would correct his past and uh, give him hope. And so and, and he wrote this after his fall with Bathsheba and, and he, the crisis he went through. So if someone like David saw the, the, the necessity of hearing about the love of God every day, how much more should we and how important is it because if you think about it you know when the bible talks about walking in love in the greek it's it, that actually is talking about walking the love that god has for you mm -hmm. and so if if everything's connected if faith is connected to knowing how much god loves you if if our walk of faith is connected to to walking in love and experiencing god um and sharing the gospel has to be motivated by by the love of God. The, the, the scriptures, there's an abundance of scriptures. So, you know, some people get it, some people don't. Some people, like you said earlier, don't see it as that important. They think it's just the basics, it's time for us to move on. I knew a pastor who had a struggle with grace and love and, and everything, and, and we were good friends. And, uh, and uh, one day he called me and, and he said, I just need you to pray for my family. You know, he had two children and, and uh, his, both of them were going through divorce. I think one had an affair or something. And, and uh, you know, it was a difficult time for him. So I, I said, look, my advice to you is you just love them. People make mistakes. You love them. You, you be the prodigal father. You, you, you be there always to, to love and kiss and hold them and love them and, and be there. Well, with, in less than a year, both these kids were recovered you know, they were back in the faith. They, they you know, were, were doing well and everything, you know. So I went and saw him and he was preaching a hard message. I mean, it was a hard message. And afterwards, we, we went out to lunch and I said, you know, I said, you criticize grace and love and you have a problem with it. I said, but your children were covered by that message. Your children are serving God today 
because you showed them unconditional love and mercy and grace. And I said, now the reason you did that is because they're your blood. And you have forgotten that those believers in that church were bought and paid for by the blood of his son. That's good. And, and they need to be extended to same love, grace and mercy. If you want them to, to live for God and follow God, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes because I, ne I never saw it that way. I said, yeah, we, 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 uh, um, uh, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we disassociate ourselves from people um, that are not our family. When our, if it's our family, we'll, we'll, we'll make exceptions to the rule. But uh, God's family, he loves his kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. loves his enemies too. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There's a, one more thing I want to I want to talk about before I let you go, and that is um, once once we receive the message of God's unconditional love and grace, once we get a revelation of grace, and let's say before we thought we had to earn God's acceptance, we had to earn His love based on our performance, like. Um, our church attendance or how much we pray or how much we read the Bible. Now, all of those things are important, but let's talk, talk about the motive behind those things. Like, why do we do those things? Right. And, and I remember we had a conversation about um, that when grace is revealed to you, when you get a revelation of the gospel of grace, it like, it reveals what's in your heart. It, yeah. it re reveals yeah. the, the motive behind why you're doing yeah. it. So if I yeah. no longer pray, yeah. or once I get a revelation of grace, um, it, it wasn't the revelation of grace that stopped me from praying or stopped me from reading my Bible or stopped me. Well, if now under grace, you mean I don't, God's not going to be mad at me because I don't go to church. He's not yeah. going to be mad at me if I don't read my Bible. He's not going to be mad at me if I don't pray. No, he's, he's not. So if I no longer do those things, it, you help me to see this. It, um, it reveals what's in my heart. Yeah. My, my you motive know, behind pastor, doing it. Yeah. Right. A pastor came up to me one time and he said, you know, if I believe what you believed, I'd be, I'd, I'd be out committing adultery. And I said, well, you just showed me what's in your heart. So, you know, he looked at me and he was kind of shocked that I would say something like that to him. I said, but you're just revealing what's in your heart, what controls you. You, you have a heart that wants to go and commit adultery. The reason you don't is you think God's going to get you if you do. And I said, that's no way to live. I said, uh, God doesn't want you to not sin because you, you're fearful that he's going to punish and judge you and maybe kill one of your children. I said, that's a tormenting way to live. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't commit adultery because I love my wife. And uh, I don't commit adultery because I'm afraid she's going to shoot me. I said, I don't <laughs> do it because love controls me. I, I, I wouldn't want to hurt my wife. I said, I love her. And I mm -hmm. said, Paul said, love controls him. I said, if I we're not it. controlled by the love of God, we're, we're controlled by something. I don't commit adultery because I, I, I love the Lord too. I don't want to live in a way that's dishonorable to him. And that doesn't honor him. And uh, I said, that's why love is such a powerful motivator in, in our lives and uh, frees us from the torment of 
fear and judgment and condemnation. And um, so, you know, he kind of looked at me because I never looked at it that way. I said, I understand. I used to think the same way. I, you know, I, I used to think that, uh, you know, God's going to get you if you don't, you know, do, do right. You're not perfectly 100% obedient. He's going to punish you and, you know, do something horrible to you. I said, but Jesus came to show us what the Father's like. And, yes. And at all like that. Oh, that's so good, man. That's so good. <laughs> I said it was going to be one more thing, but I lied. One more thing. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. I was just, I, I was led to ask you this. Um what advice would you give to young ministers who have a desire to and feel a call to go out on the mission field? You know, uh, any time you can get at yourself a good education, you know, uh, uh, be equipped. And, and now that can come from a, a going to a Bible school or, or that can come from sitting under a very wise seasoned pastor. Um, mm and uh or missionary in that case um and uh, uh you want to make sure you're grounded and rooted in in the fundamental truths of our faith and uh, and then the other key thing is you gotta have a, a good healthy relationship with god because if you're mm -hmm. going on a mission field you are going to be challenged and you are going to face some real trials tribulations and difficulties and uh, and what's going to get you through all of that is knowing your heavenly father and his love for you and which gives birth to your love for him. And that's what will get you through because you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have trials. We all do. Every missionary does. Every minister does. And uh, so that would be my advice. I, I, I'm not anti-Bible school. I'm not pro-Bible school. I know lots of missionaries that were trained up under really wise pastors and ministers who, who were very well equipped and, and ready to launch out onto the out, onto the mission field, and have been very successful. So mm. yeah, I, that would be my, you know, two cents worth, as you no, say. That's good stuff. <laughs> that's good stuff. Well, Ed, it's been a pleasure, man. This is really some good stuff. Um, I believe everybody enjoyed this and um, it'll get out to more and more people. And I'm going to include in the show notes how you can connect with Ed. And one of the powerful things that he has that I get coming to my email box every day is what he calls spiritual coffee. It's like, would you call it a devotional, a daily devotional or? Yeah, it's pretty much a daily devotional. It's it's kind of just some insights. It's a little teaching in there, but it's something to, that you can chew on all day long that will bless you. Um, and I send it out uh, early in the morning. So you can read it and think about it all day long, and it'll be a blessing to you. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. I recommend everybody, all my listeners, to um, take advantage of that. I'm going to put a link in the show notes on, on how you can subscribe to it. And get this revelation that Ed's got. He's got a whole lot more. We couldn't cover it all in an hour. So, <laughs> uh, but but he's got a lot of great nuggets. Just power packed. It's not very long, but it's packed with power. So I encourage you to get your hands on that. So wonderful. Thanks Ed for being on the show, and thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, thank you, Al. It's been a blessing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today for the Living by Grace podcast. You are greatly blessed, highly favored, deeply loved, 
totally righteous and destined to win because of Jesus. Have an amazing day.